All episodes of What You're Laughing At are recorded in front of a live studio audience. You're listening to The Art of Comedy with Sandra Carusi on Peach Radio. Judy Kroon is a comedian, motivational speaker, Second City stand-up coach, radio host, and author. She's been the opening act for many celebrities, including Joan Rivers, Jon Stewart, Louis Black, and Robert Klein. Her specials have appeared on NBC, CBS, CTV, and the Comedy Network. She's co-hosted morning shows on Toronto's Mix 99, LA's KFRG, and XM Radio with Mike Bullard. On the stage, she draws her performance from experience, wit and insight to entertain, inform, and inspire. And her dynamic keynotes and half-day workshops shops, entitled Reliving Work-Related Stress with Humor, Judy's Seven Ingredients to Living Well that Don't Include Tofu, Taming Hecklers, and so much more. She's also the creator and host of Laugh Lines and Stand Up for the Girls, which raised over $650,000 for breast cancer research. Yay! She also um, fundraises for animals via Dog Stars and co-authored the book From the Stage to the Page, Life Lessons from Four Funny Ladies. Judy can be heard every day at 5 p.m. on LTD Radio, The Power of Positive. Um, it goes on and on. Welcome, Judy Kroon. Well, thank you for having me on the show, Sandra. Yes, I was saying to you earlier how you are a part-time job trying to research all the <laughs> stuff you do. <laughs> Love it. Well, you know, when you're 105 years old, you start to get some stuff under your belt. Let me tell you. You are one seasoned lady. So one thing <laughs> I want to start with um, and get a little more in depth on the comedy uh, part of your career. Like what came first of all these things you do with comedy radio and where did it start? Well, you know, it actually makes sense. It started when I was in Calgary and I got pulled out of high school while living in Toronto. My dad got transferred. So the whole family moved out to Calgary and halfway through high school. And I think that trauma, uh, just starting all over in the middle of grade, uh, what was it, grade 11, um, you know, it was very sort of, um, very sort of isolating. So I sought solace at the time, uh, through, uh, believe it or not, through volleyball, you know, through, through sports at school, because, you know, I am 5'12", and I have been 5'12", since I was like five years old. But what happened is, as I tried to keep up with the curriculum, um, I just had a bit of a, a breakdown, and I ended up quitting the second year of university. I had always wanted to be a, a, a veterinarian. I worked at a vet for three years, and uh, I don't know. Everything just sort of caught up with me. I, like I said, I think it was a little bit traumatic going in the middle of high school and just sort of being in completely different surroundings. And trust me, everybody was great. It was Calgary for Pete's sakes. I loved it. I ended up living out there for eight years. But I um, ended up quitting university uh, and I got in my car. And actually, before getting in my car, I remember it because the night that I quit university, I was sitting in front of the TV crying my eyes out and Joan Rivers was uh, hosting The Tonight Show. And it's like this light bulb went off and I went, you know what? That's what I want to do. I want to do stand-up comedy. And I had always been this total school geek. I mean, all I ever thought about was uh, becoming a veterinarian and uh, and I just thought, oh, those people in drama, they're flakes and, you know, whatever. I was very snobby. 
Um, but next thing I knew, the, the the next couple of months after seeing Joan Rivers on The Tonight Show, it was almost something like was pulling me. I got in my Le car, drove down to the States for three months and just started doing uh, comedy competitions, getting stage time in uh, Seattle, in Portland, San Francisco, Los Angeles. And trust me, it was a huge learning curve. I was starting from nothing. I was mm-hmm. awful. And, uh, but having said that, I, I was able to, uh, sort of wet my feet in the comedy world. And from there, I drove back to Calgary, loaded up my car and drove down to Toronto and then just started doing stand up full time in Toronto. And so it's really stand up comedy is where it all started. Um, and then from stand-up comedy, I uh, was doing stand-up, I want to say, full-time for about seven years through Canada, uh, throughout Canada. And then I decided that I didn't want to be playing Holiday Inns when I was 85 years old, so I better get something else under my belt. The old academic brain started kicking in again. And I said, what if I were able to apply my comedic skills to radio? So I went to Humber for uh, uh, a year, and I got my radio diploma. What year and was that? Sorry. Hmm? What year was that in Humber? Oh, uh, let me think now. Oh, God, you know what? I can't even remember. But the station, it was a brand new station, a brand new station that was uh, opening in Ottawa, Magic 100. And that was, I think they launched 1991, maybe. Um, and, you know, just coming out of out of college, having no radio experience, I didn't get the morning show, which I had auditioned for, but I got the overnight show. And just doing, um, um, you know, just doing overnights. And then the next year, I got the morning show. I was co-hosting the morning show. And uh, that was fun. I was still doing stand-up. And then I got the comedy bug again. I'm like, okay, well, what if I could do radio and stand up, but I could move to the States? So I got a work visa and I ended up going to uh, New York and I was doing uh, comedy in New York. And uh, I was doing radio in New York, uh, traffic and co-hosting and that kind of stuff. And then I went from New York to Los Angeles and was doing stand-up and uh, and radio in Los Angeles. Um, I did that for three years. And then a gig opened up in Toronto. And then I was doing radio and stand-up in Toronto and uh, there is an end to the story, trust me. But I, I know it's it, it seems uh, it seems like you know all over the place when you look at the website, but it does make sense. And there is method to my madness. And uh, doing stand up, doing radio, I uh, I decided that I wanted you know I tasted the corporate world. It was great, and I started uh, going to Toastmasters and got into motivational speaking, and that's. What I'm doing now, I'd say 85% of the time, the majority of uh, my work comes from uh, relieving stress with humor, doing keynotes that uh, tell folks how to relieve stress, but I do it in a humorous way. I do keynotes and I do workshops. Um, I have another keynote called Taming Hecklers, Dealing with Difficult People. And uh, that's, that's it in a nutshell. That was fascinating. I saw that on your website about Taming Hecklers on 
and that with it itself, do companies really appreciate, like, what kind of feedback do you get afterwards with some of these wonderful things? Um, you know, the feedback is usually, you know, it was great to have those takeaways. Um, it was great to have fun at the same time, too. There's a lot of, uh, you know, team building that goes on. And uh, I think anytime you see a speaker... Uh, we all have that urge to want to look at our iPhone or uh, or our BlackBerry. And coming from a stand-up background, you are trained to see when people are mm. fidgety. Yes. And so as a speaker, it's very valuable because your spidey senses start tingling when the crowd wants something and you're able to go to a bit, throw in a joke, say something to somebody, uh, a participant in the audience. And that has been invaluable. Mm-hmm. I could see that because most motivational speakers do not have the incredible skill required with stand-up of that, what you just said, the ad lab. And so they must just adore you. Well, I've been, I've been really blessed. I've, uh, you know, one thing has sort of led to another, which has led to another. And uh, um, I've started doing workshops now. I'm doing teaching stand-up at Second City. And uh, the workshop that came out of that was uh, now companies want to have a more interactive portion to their workshops and they want to learn stand up. Not only do they want to be motivated, not only do they want to learn how to deal with difficult people, but they say to me, um, can you bring some of that stand up to the workshop? How do how do we do that? How can we interact with each other? How can we do something that um, is fun and funny with each other? So that's taken a life of its own. So it's it's been great. But one thing did lead into the other, but it took uh, a long time. And then um, I think probably the most important thing that came out of that was, um, you know, I uh, a couple of years ago, I had to go get a mammogram. And, uh, you know, the two weeks that I waited for the results, they were really scary. A lot of women, you know, can relate to that. And in my case, everything was fine. But the two weeks I vowed whatever the results were going to be, I wanted to use what I had. I wanted to use comedy. I wanted to use radio. I wanted to use my contacts in the media and uh, raise some money for uh, for breast cancer research. And um, that's, you know, that's what I've been doing. I've been using, um, you know, fundraising uh, stand-up shows to raise money for breast cancer research and animal rescue groups. So, uh, you use what you have, you know, that's the, like I said, the process is kind of uh, evolves in front of you and you don't know why it's happening, but you go with the flow, you go with what you know, and then you use it. And that's what happened. Yeah. Well, you, uh, first of all, thank you as a breast cancer patient myself. I, I don't use the word survivor, by the way. I just think of a reality show when I think a survivor, but, uh, <laughs> um, you know, that's fabulous. Over $650,000 you've raised um, towards breast cancer research. It's much appreciated that you still continue with the altruistic side in addition to how busy you are with all the other aspects of what you're doing. One thing you mentioned earlier, you're 5'12", as you mentioned, a very tall woman. <laughs> I'm 5'10". So I'm curious when you're on stage, um, first of all, from a gender perspective, we know in life walking around as a tall woman, there's a, I don't know, it's a little different, I guess. Um, do you find that your stature and do you have to kind of not apologize, but through your material, I mean, you're pretty, um, how can I say this? You're not bold or brash in any way. So 
it's not like you have to pull back because of your height. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you find that association or do you, uh, you know, I had another comic who looks like a biker say he fluffs it up to accommodate for his appearance. (laughs) <laughs> so how do you yeah how do you see it uh well you know the first comment that i would get because you're standing on a stage people have no uh sort of real depth perception so they would always say to me you don't look as tall as you say you are in actual fact i'm five ten and a half but still they don't know how tall i am because you're standing on stage by yourself um but having said that i actually found that the, the um, that my height really worked in terms of creating a presence, creating a presence for stand-up and creating a presence for uh, for motivational speaking. I've been uh, so it's there's a that's the petite boutique calling me. By the way, they're like, hey, <laughs> hey, are you talking about us again? <laughs> Sorry about that, well but. But anyway, so yeah, I have found it to be a great advantage. I've been, trust me, I've been able to write some fun material around it. But uh, it, I'm sure, as you know, when you walk into a room, mm-hmm. you become the focus because you're taller than most women. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, you've handled it well. There's a material. Now, I saw one piece. I just love this. Um, about Costco <laughs> shopping in general, it was a Costco and dollar store. And I wanted to air clips, but there's so many laughs per minute. I didn't want to edit it at any point. So I'm going <laughs> to encourage the listener to go just to the judycaroon.com and check it out. And, um, where was that? Well, the one that you use on your video, where was that done? Who was the audience for that? Uh, you know what? I would say that, uh, I skew the material, in terms of the selection of gigs. So I just know that there's a certain uh, certain audience that's probably not going to get me. Um, you know, the, the, the total hell gigs, the really, really rowdy gigs, uh, those aren't for me. I don't, uh, that's just not my demo. Um, the majority of gigs, you know, the corporate clean gigs, I, so that's where the, where I skew my material. And then I would say of those audiences, the material is about 75%, uh, the same. And then 25%, I write around what the event is, uh, the people that are going to be there, um, that kind of thing. That's well done, and I'm sure um, that's what makes you such a crowd favorite, um, really appreciating who's there, right? That and know your audience. I mean, like I said, there's just some gigs that I won't take because that's just not who I am. That's not, uh, you know, I had a client who wanted me to, uh, it was a a stag party, you know, and they were like, will you come and do some stand-up? I'm like, yeah, no, you need someone that's probably taking their clothes off. I am not (laughs) going to be doing stand-up for a hundred (laughs) guys. Well, that, um, well, and you have a very successful business. I can't imagine how that would translate when you go to a corporation after that and kind of have to explain yourself. Exactly. Um, so your comic tribe, you just performed at Comedy Aces with Glenn Foster. Mm-hmm. Who else is in your comic tribe from kind of where you, when you started in comedy? Well, it was really neat. Uh, actually, uh, funny that you mentioned Comedy Aces because Glenn Foster, Kenny Robinson, Lawrence Morgenstern, I had uh, started out with those guys. But when I think about it, 
Uh, there weren't a lot of female comics at the time. This was Yak Yaks in the early days. And the the people I remember, Lisa Gay Trombley from uh, Ottawa, who's living in uh, Los Angeles now. Martha Chavez. Martha Chavez came a little bit later on. Uh, but that was, you know, that was it. I, I know Marla Lakofsky did stand-up before me at Yak Yaks, but there weren't a lot of women that were doing stand-up. Okay. You just mentioned some of the women you worked with back at the time at Yucks. What was the climate, um, I guess, getting booked beyond Yucks? You know, when you go on the road and do other shows were, um, you know, what parts of the country were more receptive or when, which weren't? Uh, what was it like for a female comedian at that time? At that time, in the cities, totally fine. In the city, totally fine. Um, but in some of the rural areas for example outside calgary about three hours there were bars that would say we don't want any blacks we don't want any jews we don't want any women and uh that, those were the early early days and things have definitely changed but uh there were some real hell gigs in the in the early days for sure wow um what does anything stand out in particular um, well, I would have to say, and I always use the story uh, when I'm talking to audiences for my uh, for my keynote, it's just an example of worst case scenario, maintain your sense of humor and think about the money you're making. Because I, I say, hey, nobody has the perfect job. Nobody has the perfect gig. And uh, a gig that I did, again, it was outside of Calgary by a couple of hours. It was, I was just starting out comedy, so you can't really pick and choose your gigs. Um, you know, even the Phyllis Dillers and the Joan Rivers of the world had to start out in strip clubs because that's all that was available. So it was a stag at, and uh, the last thing they really wanted on stage was another woman standing on stage. But I had to go out and do my comedy for half an hour before the male dancers came out. And 10 minutes into my act, uh, they were booing. They were like, bring the male dancers on. But, you know, the management was smart. They paid me my money ahead of time. So it was burning a hole in my pocket. So I'm like, to hell with them. I'm staying on stage. So about 20 minutes into my act, they're like, boo, bring on the male dancers. And at about the 25-minute mark when I was just like, I can't take this anymore, uh, a male, one of the dancers had a chimpanzee on a leash in the back of the room. The chimp started running towards the stage. He had snapped off the leash. I let out the most blood curdling <laughs> scream. I dropped the microphone. I'm like, to hell with this. And I got the biggest round of laughter and applause I ever got in my career up to that point. <laughs> That's great. So like I say, worst case scenario, maintain your sense of humor and think about the money because that's what gets you through those horrible, horrible hell gigs and hell jobs. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, your book with um, the other women, uh, who <laughs> are the women involved with the book and the purpose of the book? The purpose of the book, it, I uh, was really lucky at the time. Uh, uh, three other women had the same thought. They are uh, Meg Soper, Susan Stewart, who had both done a little bit of stand-up and continue to do stand-up sometimes, but um, primarily they're, they're motivational speakers now. Uh, Judy, Sue could have also, J Judy Sue, who had also done a little bit of stand-up, but she's also primarily a uh, motivational speaker. So we had that in common, and we said, hey, why don't we do a book? And just deliver some, uh, you know, tips dealing with stress at work and at home. 
And uh, we put it together. We each wrote four chapters. And the really great thing that came out of that book, it's called From the Stage to the Page, Life Lessons from Four Funny Ladies. But what really came out of that was, you know, when you finish doing a keynote or a workshop or a gig, people always want just a little piece of you, you know, and the book was a great opportunity to sell after the show. Um, and I would sell, you know, the $20 book and $5 would go to the Canadian Breast Cancer Foundation. And, um, it was just, it was just, you know, really fun to write, really easy to write with, with, uh, with my friends. And, uh, yeah, we've been able to, uh, like I said, it's something that we sell after our shows. Uh, that's impressive. Very impressive. And it's going well. And, um, we're going to segue right into our rapid fire questions. And I always joke it's not so rapid because I like to uh, really discuss further. Mm -hmm. um, so you touched about it a little bit earlier, but wh who is your greatest comic influence or inspiration? Was it Joan Rivers? I would say so, because what happened, I mean, like I said, she was the catalyst for me bawling my eyes out and going from veterinarian, uh, you know, wanting to be a vet to hopping in my car and driving down to the States. But it came full circle because... Um, I got a call from the organizers at Unique Lives when she was here in Toronto the last time uh, doing a uh, doing her comedy, doing a, a lecture at Roy Thompson Hall, and I got to host it, and I got to meet her. So I came out at the beginning, did a little bit of stand-up. I brought Joan out. She did her stand-up. She talked to the audience, and then I got to sit with Joan for half an hour and just talk to her on stage in front of 2,500 people. They got to ask questions. And it was a really intimate setting. And it was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. And tragically, Sandra, uh, you know, um, she, I sort of became the, the person everybody said, what was Joan like? because I was sort of the last person that got to talk to her when she was here in Toronto. Like, how awful is that? Yeah. So that stays with you now, especially because she was an inspiration. And actually, she did break a lot of barriers for females in the industry way back, going back. <laughs> She did, and she never got the she never got the appreciation that she deserved. I mean, you know, tip that 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 slam the Academy Awards, leaving her out of the the dedication to folks who had passed that year. Considering that she did do a movie, considering she did the red carpet all the time, like give me a break. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, the next question is um, may have been answered already. I don't know if it goes beyond this, but favorite late night host. Um. Good. Favorite late night host? Uh, it's a combination. I would like to uh, combine Stephen Colbert and Jon Stewart. And I say and I say it this way because I think Jon Stewart's strength was interviewing people. I think Stephen Colbert's strength was his monologue and um, just when he was, you know, just when he was doing his bits in front of the camera. But John's strength was really his interview style. So it would be a combination of those two. Very good choice, I think. They have a, a, an interesting dry humor or dry wit about them. I guess mm -hmm. not your flavor. Um, you know what? I'm not that dry. I think I'm a combination of... You know, Ellen DeGeneres, Jerry Seinfeld, 
uh, just sort of that observational, a little bit political, a little bit personal, um, you know, some uh, good, clean chuckles. (laughs) Well, okay. so what is your favorite joke, yours or someone else's? My favorite joke, it's not actually a joke, it's actually a bit. And one of my, a couple of my favorite bits that come to mind, I've watched it how many times, uh, Jerry Seinfeld talking about the cab drivers in New York. Love, love that bit. Um, if you haven't seen it, check it out on YouTube, folks. It's just brilliant writing. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld, again, observational humor, talking about going through airport security. Fantastic. Yes. And uh, then another one of my favorite bits. I don't like him when he's dirty, but I like him when he's political. I saw Chris Rock at Massey Hall when he did his bit about Kobe Bryant, when he does his bit about Barack Obama, when he does his bit about Tupac Shakur, you know, when he says... You know, who shot Tupac Shakur? You know, it happened on the Las Vegas Strip after a fight. Nobody saw anything. (laughs) Those are some of the bits that come to mind for sure. I know. It's it's amazing how they stick like that because they're so Mm -hmm. Um, That's like your Costco bit. Sorry, I'm not. I always never want to pander to the people (laughs) I'm interviewing, but I just, it's just classic because anybody who's ever shopped there could totally identify with it. Well, glad you enjoy it. Oh, it's a classic. Uh, next question, I think you answered as well. Who would you rather open up for, Ellen DeGeneres or Kathy Griffin? Uh, I would say Ellen. Kathy Griffin, I love, but Kathy has her own sort of style, and her style is very uh, celebrity driven, you know. So I was hanging out with, you know, she's got that raspy voice. I was hanging out with Cher, and we got the blah, blah, blah. And uh, so I think that would draw a different audience, whereas I think with Ellen, the the friendly observational humor is more of a uh, more of a corporate crowd. Mm-hmm. Jerry Seinfeld, the same thing. And so I would have to say it would be great to be an opening act for either Jerry Seinfeld or Ellen. And it was an honor to be an opening act for uh, for Joan Rivers. I would do that in a heartbeat again if I could. Obviously, I can't. Well, and leads to bucket list gig or venue. Well, you know what? Here is my bucket list gig. My wish has always uh, been to do some sort of fundraising uh, venture across Canada, across North America, across the world. And, um, you know, initially it was it was breast cancer research. But like I said, Canadian Breast Cancer Foundation, uh, Princess Margaret Hospital, they have a lot of really, really great corporate money behind them now. Um, I would still love to do something that was, you know, female comics and doing that for one of those organizations. But there has also been a real need for animal rescue groups. And uh, I've started in Toronto. I've done a couple of fundraisers outside of Toronto. But it is my my wish that um, that I can do a Dog Stars uh, animal fundraiser in one city. Uh, once a month across Canada, across the United States, and uh, and across the world, and have a headliner like an animal lover, like a R- Ricky Gervais, mm-hmm. like uh, uh, Jackass. What's his name? Steve uh, Stevo. Uh, also, um, Elaine Boozler is doing a lot of work with animals. So I'd like to have 
one headliner, one big American animal or Canadian animal lover that was a headliner. I'd love to host it. That's my bucket list wish. And I hope I can get that accomplished in the next couple of years. Well, with everything else you've accomplished, why not? Judy, I appreciate your time with me today. Um, Upcoming gigs, where can we find you? Well, upcoming gigs, I have a bunch of corporate work uh, coming up in the next uh, next couple of months. So I will just be doing private gigs. Um, but in terms of a public gig, I'm putting the, 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 the works together now for Dog Stars 2 happening this summer in the beaches at the, at the Fox Theater. So I will keep you posted. Yes, please do. Please share with us on our page um, on Facebook and um, what's your what's your Twitter handle or some social media we can get a hold of you at if our fine listeners would like to absolutely I'm at Judy Croon says Judy Croon says uh, that's my Twitter handle at Judy Croon says you can reach out to me Judy Croon on Facebook um, and of course you can always go to my website. All of my, uh, all of my stuff is at, uh, judycroon.com. Very nice, Judy. Thanks for your time. And we will look out for all of these fabulous, um, areas you're involved with, especially this great, um, charity work you do much appreciated by everyone. I'm sure they, they appreciate you using your skills towards such a good cause. Thank you, Judy. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Sandra. Thanks for the fantastic interview. Okay. Thanks, Judy. And here we roll the credits. Host and bitchy ex-wife, Sandra Carusi. Research assistant, Dayton, going to be a star hail. Contributor, Christine, radio star Cardoso. Studio producer, Adam, no pants, Zizzo. Executive producer, Vince, leave the gun and take the cannoli negro.